Bob Luck. And I'm Chris Fleming. Welcome to another edition of Health Affairs This Week. Today, we're joined by our first guest from outside Health Affairs, but she's really a member of the Health Affairs family, Katie Keith, who uh, is going on her fourth year of doing the rapid response uh, blogging on the ACA and health reform for Health Affairs blog. And if that wasn't enough, she's got a number of other hats. She's an appointed rep to the uh, NAIC, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. She's an adjunct prof uh, at Georgetown uh, University Law Center. And she is also, last but not certainly not least, a contributing editor at Health Affairs. Katie, welcome and thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Well, um, I know um, our listeners surely know that we are in the midst of a massive COVID-19 vaccine rollout, and we've really seen that pick up uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, we've also seen quite a few bumps in the road and a lot of questions and confusion. Uh, I do want to take this moment to just point our readers to a number of pieces on Health Affairs blog, as well as the journal, that are really looking at that process uh, and providing some recommendations and proposals for how the vaccine rollout process might be accelerated, might be uh, carried out in a more efficient and equitable um, way. So folks, check that out. But we've got Katie here. And so uh, let's let's make the most of it and talk about uh, health reform, the Affordable Care Act, and uh, everything else under, under that, um, that broad umbrella. Um, so Katie, uh, you know, obviously, uh, President Biden has a very different attitude uh, towards the Affordable Care Act uh, as compared to his predecessor. Uh, you know, Biden famously called it a big blanking deal. And uh, his, his uh, predecessor, I think, might have used the same word in a different way to refer to it. Uh, but of course, President Biden uh, wanted, wants to expand on it and build on it. Uh, some of what he wants to do will require working with Congress. But the administration, there's also a lot that they can do on their own. And we saw an example, I think, of that at the end of last week. Uh, can you tell us what that was and take us through some of the highlights? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think to say that President Biden has a different view of the law than President Trump is the understatement of all time. So let's start there. Uh, so you're exactly right. We saw an executive order uh, late last week focused entirely on the Affordable Care Act and Medicaid. It The sort of most notable thing that it did, and I think the thing that drove headlines, is that it uh, asked the Department of Health and Human Services to uh, open up a special enrollment period for healthcare.gov. So, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you surely know that healthcare.gov is the marketplace that's run in 36 states. Um, the idea there is, you know, with the pandemic, you have millions of people who may have lost their job, who've lost hours, so they've lost income. Um, all these questions of, you know, millions and millions of people potentially losing health insurance. Why shouldn't we throw open the doors to healthcare.gov to make sure that anybody who needs health insurance can come in and get that coverage? So the executive order, uh, you know, sort of asked HHS to consider this. They did. We're going to have a big, broad three-month special enrollment period from February 15th to May 15th. Um, and on top of that, HHS sort of indicated they were going to put at least $50 million towards marketing this. Uh, that is in stark contrast, I would say, to the $10 million that the Trump administration had been putting into outreach and advertising and marketing over each of the past few years there. So, you know, the idea is to use healthcare.gov, use this core part of the Affordable Care Act as part of the pandemic response and as a way to make sure you're getting health insurance to people who need it. 
and I think you mentioned that the states had uh, uh, done this. The, the the you know there are states that have their own marketplaces and and don't use healthcare.gov. Uh, what's what has their experience been like uh, when they've uh, had these sort of special enrollment periods? Yeah, great question. So, you know, all but one of the state-based marketplaces did something similar. And, and I should say the Trump administration was pushed to do this last year, and they declined to do so. Um, there was a lot of pressure put on them from bipartisan groups of governors and gig economy CEOs and that kind of thing, and they declined to do it and even got sued over it. Um, so, But you saw states moving forward and acting um, even where the federal government wasn't. And so by and large, um, there's good data. It actually really did increase enrollment. Folks saw this. It, you know, and, and part of it is when you're advertising this, folks can find their way to either the marketplace or Medicaid, right? And we've known a lot, we know Medicaid has taken up a lot of the sort of slack and is really serving its safety net role during the pandemic. Um, but you saw increased enrollment. And frankly, a lot of the data shows that uh, you're seeing younger people come into the marketplace. Um, Covered California hit record high enrollment um, due to its sort of ongoing special enrollment period. Um, and, and I'll say, I think this opening up the marketplaces this way uh, could have a big impact. So the Kaiser Family Foundation had a report out last week saying, you know, 9 million people qualify for some kind of subsidy uh, through, you know, through healthcare.gov, that this could um, really have a huge impact for folks. So it's it's certainly something to watch. I don't, I, I will say, I think it's the bare minimum of what, <laughs> what could be done. I think it's so obvious to open up a special enrollment period and and frankly, it's something I had hoped the Trump administration would would get on board with too. Um, but it is going to be really, really critical for folks to have three months to enroll in coverage. So, what else does the executive order encompass? That is the special enrollment period is the most explicit thing <laughs> that it directed. Let's say the clearest thing we can we know exactly what's going to happen. Um, it also revoked sort of prior. President Trump executive orders that were widely seen as trying to undermine the Affordable Care Act, uh, including one that was the very first executive order that President Trump signed on Inauguration Day in 2017. Um, so in pulling back those prior executive orders, um, you know, President Biden also directs the federal agencies to go and undo, you know, rulemaking pursuant to those. So, you know, folks who care about these issues, um, it, it could set up rulemaking to, you know, pull back some of the short-term plan changes, the association health plans, um, other types of things like that. Uh, and then there's kind of this sort of general directive to the federal agencies to say, go forth and do policies that, you know, help people with pre-existing conditions, that increase affordability, um, that look at barriers to Medicaid and Affordable Care Act coverage. So the, it's sort of general directives. There's probably uh, a million things that you could put under, that could fit into any one of those broad uh, characterizations or broad directives. Um, I have my list. I'm sure most people in DC have their own list of what you hope they go and do. Um, but you know, there are some indications that it would be rolling back, let's say, the Medicaid work requirements guidance or trying to unwind some of the bad state waivers we saw approved. Maybe, and something I hope they do, they fix the family glitch. You know, All these types of things where you can kind of read the tea leaves and say, I hope this is what this is a reference to. But it wasn't so explicit to say, hey, Treasury, go fix the family glitch. <laughs> so I think it'll be a little bit more kind of watching and waiting on what happens next. In that regard, I think that, uh, you know, there's maybe an indication a little bit of what uh, the administration might have in mind in that, uh, you know, you've got all sorts, as always, all sorts of uh, litigation going on about the Affordable Care Act. 
there's, you know, we'll get to uh, the Supreme Court action in a minute, but before we do, there's all sorts of cases where, if I'm not mistaken, the the uh, Biden administration has already been going in and, and taking different stances, undoing briefs and other filings that its predecessor had put in. Uh, can you tell us a little about that and what it says about the Biden administration's priorities? Yeah, absolutely. So um, no one knows better than I think Chris, who has to edit hundreds of blogs for me about ACA litigation, um, that, you know, this is one of the most litigated pieces of social legislation in, in history. And so we still even now have an incredible amount of lawsuits over the law itself or over its implementation. And that hasn't stopped uh, just because we have a new president or a new Congress. So, you know, much more to come on that. Um, but, you know, it's something I've argued is that I actually think part of their regulatory agenda for the Biden team is going to be driven by the courts and having to respond to all these existing lawsuits. And so, you know, they're they're ramping up. I, I did a, a piece last week to just sort of capture the status of all this litigation heading into the Biden administration. There's even parts of it that are already outdated because we've seen uh, new developments in those cases. But in a number of them, um, the association health plan litigation is a good example. You have seen the Department of Justice come in and say, excuse me, court, we have new leadership at the agency. We need, can we have 60 days? Can you put this lawsuit in abeyance is what they they ask for. Um, give us 60 days to consult with our new leadership and then we'll decide what they want to, what we want to do as, as a government agency. And so what that could lead to is, uh, and, and the Trump administration used the strategy too, um, maybe there are cases that don't get appealed or um, the government says, hey, we actually agree with <laughs> this decision to set aside a rule, send it back to us, to the government, and we'll fix it. So it could sort of drive rulemaking. Um, and you know, there just might be things that on their own, the Biden administration might not have prioritized, but because there's been a lawsuit, um, they have to you know, respond to it right away. Um, and just even put a finer point, you know, I mentioned that the Trump administration had been sued over not opening up a special enrollment period. There was an announcement this week um, that lawsuit has been settled now because the Biden administration did do the special enrollment period. So I, I expect to see kind of more news like that. And, I, you know, as always, I think the court developments are really important to follow. It almost feels a little bit like if the next four years is going to be this sort of epic saga that uh, what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is kind of the preamble for what's to come. And uh, I'm looking forward to sort of the really getting into to the meat of it. Um, but of course, the, the big one you, you mentioned, the, 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 the major ACA litigation um, has already been argued before the uh, Supreme Court, and we're sort of waiting to see what happens. Where do things stand on that? And um, uh, what are you looking out for? Yeah, you said it, Rob. We're just—it's a waiting game now. Um, you know, the case has been fully, fully briefed. It was argued on, on November 10th, which was one week after the election, and you know, pin, pins and needles until we get it. I think, and you know, the big question of whether our entire healthcare system is thrown into chaos or not is just something you know we'll twiddle our thumbs until we see. Um, but you know, that's a big case. I think the there's a case over the propriety of Medicaid work requirements that's sitting before the Supreme Court. They might take a case on the public charge rule or Title 10, and all of that's just the Supreme Court. So it's um, there's, there's a lot going on, and I think a lot to track there. Uh, having back to the California versus Texas case, I think having listened to oral argument, my read and other folks 
thought, you know, it sounded like the entire ACA is not going to be struck down, that at a minimum you could, uh, you know, just excise the individual mandate and leave the rest of the law. But there is a non-zero chance that the entire law that has been, you know, baked into the fabric of our healthcare system for the past 10 years could be on the chopping block. And so it, it is something that um, I think is going to continue to be really important. And we'll see. We'll see when we get it. Theoretically, Congress could act, uh, you know, now that there's a uh, pre- Democratic president and the Democrats control both houses of Congress. And uh, what could Congress do? And and given that the ACA looks relatively safe, uh, do you think the risks outweigh the benefits in terms of whether Congress would act? Yeah, it's a great question. So Congress could absolutely sort of handle this on their own, or at least, you know, eliminate the reason for the Supreme Court to have to rule on this. So, you know, the case is at its core about the individual mandate itself. And so, you know, congressional action, at least before we get a decision, would focus there. It would be, um, you know, Congress could go in and sort of strike the actual provision. They could dial up the penalty back up from zero to some non-zero amount. There's a debate about, you know, how high you'd have to increase it for it to really be a tax and all that fun stuff. Um, Or they could add a severability clause to the Affordable Care Act to make it even, you know, crystal clearer to the court that the rest of the law should stand even if the mandate falls. We'll see what Congress is going to do. I think they have their hands full, right? Also an understatement of some kind. So, you know, and I do think it will be more complicated after we get a decision. So there's a possibility that Congress doesn't act, we get a decision, there's a huge crisis because the Affordable Care Act is is gone or imminently gone, something like that. Um, But it will really sort of at that point depend on what the Supreme Court has said and what the fix would look like. Um, I just really hope we're not in a situation where Congress has to reenact the entire Affordable Care Act, which is a potential scenario, but one um, I don't, I'm personally hoping is is not a world that we are living in, also in the middle of a pandemic. So Congress could act. We'll see what happens. I think that's, uh, you know, an appropriate place to end. So uh, that'll do it for this week's, this week, uh, Health Affairs This Week. And uh, make sure that if you like what you heard, uh, you can uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts uh, and join us next week. Katie, thanks for joining us. Yeah, as always, thanks for having me. Thank you both.